Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Storm King Steady. My name is Wind, and with me as always is Kat. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Uh, yeah, good. Uh, another good session last night. What'd you yeah, think? Yeah, it was. Yeah. A little RP heavy in the beginning and then combat heavy towards the end. Yep. I agree. And there was an awful lot that happened, so guess we'll just dive right into the recap. Uh, so after we, after last session, essentially, we went back upstairs kind of in, in character chat to kind of lick our wounds. We didn't, re- we weren't really down that far on hit points, were we? Um, hit points, no. I think Prue and I were missing hit points. I was missing the most, but I think everyone else was fine. Barring maybe missing a few temporary hit points at most. Yeah, and the uh, most of most of what we really needed to recover were spells and abilities. Yeah. So we talked about taking a short rest, but really that would have only helped with uh, the temporary HP from Tabane because you could have done your your feet uh, inspiring leader on us again after a short rest. But uh, wouldn't have given any of the spellcasters back any of their spells. And that also included your smites. Yep. So, ended up that we decided to take a, a long rest. And there were some ramifications that kind of happened from that. We'll get into a little bit later. But uh, we took it in three shifts. And the first shift was, let's see, it was Prue and Keelan. And both of us have a pretty good perception. And we heard movement in the basement. We, we'd gotten back up to the, to the main floor to rest. And we heard movement and even some, like, rattling chains. And, but nothing came up the stairs or attacked us during our shift. And then it was uh, Portia and Tabanay, right? And, uh, so Portia was kind of out of it for the first four hours. She kind of came in at the end of your shift, right? Because she had to do like a meditation. No, she was out of it during your shift and she was coming out of it to take the next shift with me. Okay. So most, um, she only missed the very first part of your shift then. Yeah. Okay. And... Uh, we each got some time to role play as we uh, took our shifts and uh, that was pretty good. Um, Prue missing her uh, cybernetic arm. Um, uh, Keelan, you know, helped her to get it bandaged, her stump bandaged up and that sort of thing. Um, And then uh, you had some time with uh, Portia and then the last pairing was uh, Mask and Lars. And uh, nothing happened on any of our shifts. And I think that mine and Prue's was the only one that actually heard the chains. And yep. and really that never got resolved, I don't think. I don't remember any seeing any chains when we went down, when we went um, back down. Yeah, the only thing that comes to mind is like if there was people manacled. Oh, okay. in, in the cells. In yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. So, um, and then once we once we had rested, we went right back down into the basement and had all of our our spell slots back, uh, full up on hit points. Uh, essentially, everyone was pretty much like they had started, except uh, Prue was without her cybernetic arm, and Portia was missing an arm. But other than that. Uh, we went back in basically full strength. And before we went back down into the basement, uh, didn't it, wasn't that the point that Portia's apprentice, what's her name? Um, Gilda, right? Gilda. Yeah, took um, the wear jackal to the city watch. Isn't that when that happened? Yeah, that's when we were heading downstairs. She was just like, I'm just going to take the wear jackal to. Captain Trowlith or the City Watch or whomever was in charge and just turn them in. And then we're like, yeah, okay, we're going to go clear out the basement. And I, I had some 
I had a little bit of trepidation about that because I was thinking, well, if, you know, if people were after her apprentice and now her apprentice is exposing herself to go take this prisoner to the city watch. But uh, I guess nothing happened. So um, that was, it would have been unfounded, but it, it seemed like a risk to me to let her do that. Um, and then, so we went back down to the basement and right away, was it mask that spotted the kobold? Yes. And, um, before we get into this, I would like to back up just a little bit. Um, and mention that in our RP chat on the discord, Winifred had a big moment with us. And this is where um, Winifred revealed to us that Winifred is not Winifred anymore. Winifred is a changeling called Mass. Yep. I, for, I forgot we didn't cover that last last uh, podcast. No. Yeah. Um, I only remembered it when you, when you mentioned Mask's name. Um, but yeah, so now going forward, Winifred is now Mask. Now as players, we knew that going in, but in character, we didn't know that at all. Right, and, and if you listen to to his uh, interview, like we knew that as well. Sure, but and... he came out and cho- showed us that um, he was a changeling, and he was like a little down and out. Like I'm, like I'm sorry, I didn't tell you to begin with. You know, um, I hope you know everything can stay the same. I hope we can still be friends and stuff like that. And this is where I noticed a change and mask and as when he was winifred he was like calm cool collected you know nothing really shook his boat all that much but as mask he's very like skittish and reserved and like shy and that to me was like a huge 180 i was just like well wouldn't i mean as we know from his interview changelings just take on the appearance so, I, I I understand why he's giving two different personalities, but that's that was cool of him that he had Winifred and he could be like Winifred, but in reality he's nothing like Winifred. Yeah, and so there were there were a couple of things, although it may not have entirely been the shape that Mask was in that dictated all of this. And we can get into that in a little bit. But yes, I agree. The personality changed as well. A little less sure of themselves. Right. And uh, not not as uh, forthcoming in combat, maybe? Honestly, I don't think he did a single attack this entire session, last session. I didn't, I didn't remember how many attacks. I just knew that... A mask hung back from the main action and that was not typical until yeah. then. Yeah. And so now going back, resuming with the recap, um, mask spotted a cobalt. And this is where, when I first noticed the change in demeanor and it was like, he was like, Hey, there, there's, there, there's a cobalt over there. And then we're like, oh, what did you say? Like, we're kind of like, like, Kind of in a way, like saying "speak up" or just like repeat yourself, because normally it's like Winifred's just like "oh ha 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 ha" with actual words and not just yes. noises. <laughs> and... Um, but yeah, he he was just like, "There's a cobalt over there," and then the cobalt moved over to the top, and he's like, "Oh, now it's over there," and and this is where let's see, we'd been down back down in the dungeon for. I don't know, maybe three minutes and our party split up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we did it for a good reason this time. We, as the kobold took off, part of the party followed the kobold, but the other, but we also knew at that point that they could eventually come back around and come back up another corridor. So half of us went up that corridor as well. So that, you know, meet in the middle kind of thing. So it wasn't, and we thought we had things to this point fairly well cleared out. So it wasn't just something that we did blind. 
Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, we actually cornered him in the room with the gibbering mouther. So it was kind of like PTSD of just like, oh God, we're back in this room. Right. Minus the mouther. We, yeah. we, we cornered him and they were trying to uh, hide in a burlap sack. We just had the bag over their head. Like, you don't see me. I am ninja. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, we did get to talk to the kobold and convince them that we weren't trying to kill them. They remembered that we had saved saved it from the cockatrices. This was the kobold that was on the floor turned to stone in the cockatrice room from the previous session. And so evidently the uh, petrification was only temporary. And uh, we found out that their name was, is it Patsky? Yep, Patsky. And uh, they said that they had they knew that there was a gnome that made uh, that did like the evil magic the necromantic magic that sort of thing and that they were with a i guess i guess the way patsky said it was they made the evil chickens so the the cockatrice the undead cockatrices and that they were with what we took to be a were tiger, although we hadn't seen either of these things thus far, and and still haven't. We got through the whole. I guess that's a spoiler, but yeah, we got through the whole dungeon, and they they weren't down here. So, um, anyway, they but they were looking for the Titan artifact, which was the watch that we recovered the previous session. And then, um, for rescuing Paskey, they gave us a gold necklace that, uh, Teddy said was worth about 25 gold and also, uh, a potion of acid resistance. And then they tagged along with us for the rest of the dungeon. Uh, I wasn't so sure about that. Um, didn't know where the real allegiances were, but, um, ended up okay. And then when we got to Porsche's workshop, we found three bodies laying on a bench. One of them had a, a sigil of a monster skull being pierced by a sword. And obviously they had had necromantic work done on them and, so at this at this point, Keelan asked Tabane to cut their heads off because yeah. I was like, "Well, the last thing that we need." So Keelan's biggest thing going into any dungeon has always been, "Don't leave things behind you to attack you at the rear." When you know you're going to run into a monster up front, and you already have enough on your hands, the last thing you need is being attacked from the rear. For instance, last session it had we run into that mouther and then those cockatrices ran it up on us from behind. That could have been really bad. That would have been devastating. Yeah. That w- I mean, the mouther fight alone was rough. Exactly. So that's, that's just always been her philosophy. If you, while you're combing through the dungeon, get what you have in front of you and make sure that nothing's coming up behind you and burn everything. <laughs> so, then we have, oh, so we found the bodies, and I asked you to cut off their heads, and you had just used your sword to chop off one of them, and Prue, was it Prue, mm-hmm. that, that saw the shadows come streaming in under the doorway, and we ended up fighting three shadows, and uh, that was a pretty good fight. Yeah. Um they the shadows took up they were famous wrestlers is what i'm trying to say and when they were alive they yeah, were in their life wrestlers. yeah so they you know i think one of them was supposed to be like hulk hogan because he was ta- saying brother a lot and um what aggravated them was lars took the championship belt and i <laughs> he right. said he was going to return it but then they are just like, hey, if you didn't earn it in the ring, then you don't 
get to keep it or something like that. If, if, there was a rhyme there. If you didn't, I, I, if you didn't earn it in the ring, then you don't get to keep the bling or something like that. Yeah, yeah. it was it was some sort of rhyme, <laughs> and um, that was supposed to be a surprise encounter attack. But we have the lovely, wonderful, perceptive Prue, who nothing gets past her, except Winifred's fake papers. Um, <laughs> yeah. Session zero. And, yeah. And so um, what would have been a surprise attack turned into regular combat. And we were fighting these shadows. So, and we didn't know this at the time, but if, if you had a physical weapon, they had resistance to it. So they were only going to take half damage to physical weapons unless they were magical. And we... As we were fighting, so the first thing Keelan does is cast protection from evil. Figures that'll give me advantage or give them disadvantage once again to hit me. And I can stop them from going through me to get into the hallway where some of our other companions are. But they can move through me, do their attacks, and then move behind me again. That was the idea of me just standing in the doorway with protection from evil on to kind of be a stone wall to take the attacks. And, but everybody just streamed into the room and started fighting. And, which again is fine. Lars did get hit and, or I say hit, uh, suplexed. Was that the correct yeah. <laughs> wrestling move? And yeah. he took uh, some decent amount of damage, but, uh, the big, the big thing was lost two points of strength from the shadow yeah. attack. I don't know what ability that is, if that's to shadows or if it was just a something, but yeah, the, he lost some strength, took a real good chunk of damage. And um, it was at this point where I'm just like, I had a gut feeling that these things were like fiends. And so, since I have Divine Smite, I can do an extra, like, D8 of damage. So, we just took a long rest. I only have two spells. And then so we two come smites. across these things. So, huh? So, you only had two spells, therefore only two smites. Yes. Because each smite takes up a spell slot. That is correct. Right. So, after we just long rested, we came into this encounter, and this is our first encounter of the night. So, it's still pretty early on in the session, and I'm like... God damn it, I'm going to have to use both my spell slots in this encounter. And I really didn't want to. I was willing to do one, and I did do one. But the second one, I was kind of hoping, you know, he we would all just do chip damage on him and finish him off, and that I wouldn't have to. Um, which, in, in, to back up just a little bit, there was three of them. One of them came after you. I think they missed. Another one went after Lars. And so I moved down a tile to get advantage on the one between you and me. Because I I was in the northern part of the room, you were in the southern part of the room in the, in the doorway. So I moved down to get advantage, and then I hit, I did my divine smite, and I think I did like, what, 21, 23 points of damage? You, the thing detonated. Yeah, I <laughs> took it out in one fell swoop. And yeah. I'm like, all right, good. That's that's one down. I mean, that's a, you know a third of the way there. Only one spell slot. You know we're already doing pretty good. And then I moved myself into the corner so I would give Rue um, advantage on the one she was standing next to. And if anyone else wanted to move up to the northern part of the room, they could have advantage in that one. So I kind of put myself not in a good spot, but in a good spot at the same time. Because I was adjacent to two of them, but also I could give advantage to other people. So I'm like, all right, I have pretty decent AC. Yeah, um, that was I good think positioning. I can, yeah, like I, I can probably take a hit because they hit pretty hard. Um, but by then, you know, Prue and everyone else focused one, finished them off. Um, and then we surrounded the other one. And it was at this point my turn came up again. And I'm like, I don't know. Like if I'm like, if I divine smite now, I know it's dead, but we still have like a quarter of the dungeon left to explore. And we're only like an hour and a half in the session. And I'm like, I do. I really want to spend my last spell slot here. 
and you know this was like the last session came up it was like you know if i spend a divine smite snap if i spend a divine smite now that saves me a cure wounds later so it's just like dealing damage to protect damage and i was and then in the end i opted not because i'm just like he he had a low initiative and i think everyone was going before him so i'm like if it does come back around it he should die before his next turn so i just opted for a, a regular melee attack and that melee attack ended up doing half damage and i that was so at the time i was thinking okay so it was the divine smite that got you the full damage because you did radiant damage with the divine yes. smite uh teddy did say later that he just full-on forgot that you were using a magic sword so that you would have been doing full damage nobody took any other damage though so there was no uh, it wasn't a big deal that um that the stuff got crossed there's an awful lot to keep track of in combats, especially when yeah. you're the DM and you're everyone else. <laughs> the players really only have to take care of themselves. So, yeah. um, and so anyway, we did finish it off in that combat. Keelan did throw told the dead. That's number 14 for the campaign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, didn't get, it didn't go again so i am now 3 for 14 uh for the campaign and that puts me just about 21 and a half percent success rate on a spell that i should have a 60% success rate on <laughs> i hope you keep i hope you keep on keeping track of your hits and misses with that <laughs> um, that's like that's like a running joke in the podcast now i was like did keelan hit her Toll the dead. Uh, I'm gonna start. Um, I'm gonna start announcing the toll the dead count with uh, the beginning of Hell's Bells. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that was uh, yet again uh, the the big gong went off and everybody's like, "Well, nope, nothing, nothing happened." So uh, off we went to and and uh, once again, I didn't even know if uh, if that was going to work anyway because of the, um, you know, they were negative energy. Didn't know if, um, didn't know if necrotic damage would hurt them, anything like that. So radiant damage sure as hell works. Yeah. No kidding. That was, uh, that was a huge hit. Although, um, you, you get my, you get my vote for most impressive hit of the night, but not, uh, the most impressive attack. (laughs) <laughs> we'll get to that later. All right. That's so, fair. I'll take that. So um, then we searched the um, Porsche's workshop, and you noticed a note crumpled up under the desk, and it was addressed to someone called Z, and it says, We have completed our work here. Yorick's Moppets have been defeated, although the half-orc and the tiefling escaped. We believe the former ran for the docks, which means she will be ours soon enough. The later, we cannot locate. We could not find the timepiece either, and it is possible the tiefling took it with her. However, if its magic functions as erratically as it as does that of the traveler's timepiece, there may be more searching to be done. Uh, everything, everything goes according to plan, and the manor should be free to claim... Loose ends are being tied up as I write this. I am always your obliging servant. Uh, is it Huber? Huber. Huber? Yeah, no, Huber. Yeah, Huber. Okay. And uh, so they were trying to steal uh, Porsche's shop out from underneath her. Yeah. Um, you know, as you were reading over that, something just clicked. It said we could not find the timepiece either, um, and it was like okay, so that means they know about the traveler's timepiece. But they, I don't know if this is just a little mix-up or something. But it says, however, if it magically functions as erratically as does that of the traveler's timepiece, there may be more searching to be done. So does that mean there was two? No, Titanic? I th- well, uh, let me let me go back. I think. 
Teddy says there was a typo in there. So it may have been referring to one of the other Titan artifacts. Oh, okay. Uh, I, he can correct me on that, but I thought he said that there was a typo in the note. Okay. So just disregard what I said. Nothing happened. So, but you're right. It does read like that. And then, um, we did find after we searched through there, we did find an actual dungeon with cells and everything through a series of secret doors. Um, there was, before we got into that specific area, there was kind of a, uh, a chamber right before there that had three busted coffins and then like a small coffin in it that wasn't busted. And in searching through those coffins, Keelan found a cloth with, uh, some potions inside of it. And let's see, uh... One was a gaseous form potion, and the other was a frost giant strength potion. Strength 23 for an hour. How do you like that? <laughs> um, the, uh, I don't know. You it don't know. sounds good. I don't, I don't know if it'll become relevant. It might. So, the... Uh, we we haven't really talked about allocation of the non-permanent magical item. The only permanent magical item we've found, other than the timepiece, is your sword. Yeah. And I it's I am I couldn't tell you who has what for potions or scrolls or anything else like that. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I think I'm holding on to some alchemist fire and a poison potion of resistance i honestly don't know so that probably is something we should you know do a little housekeeping on um yeah because yeah, as, just as so we know as, who who has them so that they have them available to unless unless teddy's saying that we can just keep them in a community pool and pull from them as we like no i think they gotta be on the person well i would say so too but i, I don't i mean i don't know so I, um, I've never run one of his games before. Maybe that's how it's done. Yeah. So, uh, but regardless, if that's not the case and we do need to know who has them, yeah, we, we as a group probably need to sit down and say, okay, who wants to carry this? Who wants to carry this? And um, I will say this. I, I, f- I feel like I look at a lot of magical items a little counterintuitively. For instance, yes, you were a logical choice for the magic sword. Uh, I don't know that you're the logical choice for the frost giant potion. You would think the strongest person with the best armor class, that sort of thing. But actually someone like, um, someone who's getting ready to go into melee, who doesn't already have a 16 strength is going to benefit more from the potion than you would because while it will take your strength up to 23, it will also take their strength up to 23. And that's a, that's a bigger stretch. So you could still be doing your plus three damage and to hit. And then we could have yet another character that gets plus whatever to damage and hit. Yeah, I agree. Plus whomever drinks that they have a different skill set than I do. Right. I mean, think, so, think about what would happen if Mask took that potion. Yeah. And then did a uh, backstab. Yeah. Yeah. That how about it? Damage. <laughs> so, um, okay. So anyway, that's, um, that was the, the potions that we found. And then um, we also found a small coffin and I was getting ready to bust it or to at least open it up. But Teddy said it didn't look like it had been tampered with or manipulated. And I was like, okay, well, if nothing's been done, I didn't want to desecrate someone's, you know, final rest. So I didn't do anything to it. And it ended up not revealed yet, but it ended up being Porsche's pet mimic, uh, boxy, (laughs) And 
Okay, so I got to tell you about Boxy. When when Portia named the mimic Boxy, I read, uh, listen to a lot of audiobooks, and uh, there's um, there there is one called um, Everybody Loves Large Chests, and it is like a it is like a series, like a harem series, but the main character absolutely has no interest in. Uh, sex at all because the main character is a mimic named Boxy T. Morningwood. Oh. <laughs> and, and, the, and when Portia when Portia said that the that the that the mimic's name was Boxy, I'm like, she has had to have read <laughs> the series. Maybe not, but I mean, it, it, you know, it is a box, so maybe that's just a a, a common thing. But uh, I was like, man, that's just awfully coincidental. So, uh, yeah. So, but we didn't, we didn't up. yeah, but we didn't find out just yet. And, but we were, we were about to. So we then went into the room off of this coffin room where we found the cells. There was a ghast in one of the cells that was playing dead. We were supposed to uh, walk into the cell and be attacked. We didn't. And, started just plucking at it from outside. And at that point, Teddy just said, Hey, there's no way for it to kill you. You can pick it off at will. So that was an easy encounter to win. And just kind of skipped right over it. Yes. The other cell had uh, two women in it. And I don't remember the name. They were sisters and they were clients of Porsche's. Do you remember the names? Their names were Abella and Oakery. Abella and Oakery. Okay. And then uh, they had only been dead for like two or three hours, which means that our long rest killed them. In a sense. Yeah. If we had not taken the long rest and been successful, I mean, there's possibility not taking the long rest could have killed us. But if we had not taken the long rest and been successful in finding this place, then we would have essentially been been there in time to save them. Yeah, um, that or if we just took a different route exploring it in the previous session before, we could have saved them because yeah, yeah. they would have been alive at that point as well. That's possible too. Um, this was... Okay, so... Sorry that they died. <laughs> that that wasn't a good thing. However, I was very impressed with uh, Teddy's storytelling at this point because it put consequence to our delay. So yeah, yeah. So essentially, what he did was he put us on notice that yeah, we can do whatever we want but there's still going to be consequences and the consequences are going to happen, you know, in, on my timeline, not on your timeline. And so, so if you get there in time, great, you know, things are rosy. If you get there in your time and it's past what my time is, well, then these events have still transpired. So that's, that's definitely something for us to think about as a party, as we continue further on and say, do we need a long rest or should we push through this and put ourselves at a little more risk? Um, so I, I thought it was, I thought it was a brilliant device. Yeah. I never really thought of it that way. I was just like, Oh, well we just kind of missed them and that's very unfortunate, but yeah, I didn't think that. I mean, I knew that our long rest killed them. Sure. Yeah. I knew that much, but I didn't, I didn't look at it the way you did it. Like, if like what you said, yeah. So the, yeah. uh, the ghast also had like four giant platinum pieces and they, that's how they were described. And then I was like, so these are big platinum pieces. And then I think, I think it was mask that said, no, they're like platinum pieces for a giant. And I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. I was just thinking, yeah, why are these things so big? And uh, so we found the four big platinum pieces and also 
I think there was three other potions. Two of them were healing, and one of them was animal friendship. Mm-hmm. And then um, the other door leaving the coffin room led to the same pit that we had seen in the previous uh, in the, in our previous session that had the hanging corpses over it. And so Keelan's idea was cut the ropes, drop them down into the pit and then throw alchemist fire down there and burn them. <laughs> and everybody was like, yeah, let's do that. And I'm like, Oh, finally, we're going to get to see, <laughs> we're going to get to see some fire. And, uh, no, but this is where my, best shot of the game came in it was lars right that shot the Um, ropes no who was was mask it was mask okay so then so then mask gets gets the cupid doll because he did one shot he crit so he he hit both ropes with one shot and dumped these two things down into a glass-filled pit and of course, they animated. They were scarecrows, and they start trying to clamber up the sides of the of the pit to get to us. And so Keelan is out of position. She's still in the cell room. So she runs in to the coffin room, and about this time, isn't that when Mask finally sees the mimic? Yes, this was when the mimic popped out from its corner. And without any context, Teddy's just like, and then in this corner, there's a mimic. And I'm just like, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, I I knew there would be something in that corner. And I'm like, but I was kind of with you. I'm like, if if it's not going to be a problem, then let's not make it a problem. So when it popped up, I immediately thought, enemy from behind, it's going to kill us. We got scarecrows coming up a 20-foot pit trying to, you know, kill us from that direction so we're kind of literally having our backs up against a wall and it turns out mimic was friendly yep. and it jumped out and started attacking the scarecrows and i'm just like uh, uh okay like sure like that's one less thing i gotta worry about yes porsche's pet mimic and so it actually did some damage in the in the fight. So that was fun to, that was fun to see mask sees the mimic though, and completely loses their shit and bolts just runs. So at this point though, I don't connect mimic frightening mask. I'm thinking scarecrows because they have an ability to create fear because we've been making saves for that during this combat that was going on. And I'm thinking, did I miss them making missing a save and just running off? But so <laughs> takes off, uses their movement, their uh, action, and I think even said bonus action for yeah, move for as, movement, like as a haul an ass. <laughs> and, I think as a rogue, he can double his movement as a bonus action. Oh, that's and then I think crazy. as his action, he just moved another again so uh so keelan threw one spell and uh that was a healing word on lars i think it had been hit or what was it that had been hit was um, it lars i think it was Pru- it might have been prue it might have been prue and so through a healing word and then took off after mask because i i didn't know that this was the last place in the dungeon i thought cripes he's gonna run into somebody or another monster or something like that before this scarecrow fear wears off so i went hauling ass after after mask and left you guys basically to fight the scarecrows yep and you know the scarecrows um they were formidable. I think they had a multi-attack because as Teddy described it, when I threw a javelin at one that was falling, I pinned its arm to the wall, but it just kind of like ripped its arm off and continued falling. And when that one reclimbed back up to the top, 
and was attempting to hit one of us, he said he only gets one hit because he doesn't have another arm. So, so it would have been two. So it would have been two. Yeah. Yep, so that makes sense. It's, it's good that, you know, things like that happen and that we can, you know, like chop arms off or whatever to hinder our opponents. Um, but yeah, so that combat happened. We finished it up. And then I think at this point, everyone was running back to get mask. And then Teddy dropped us a little thing, a little snippet, let's call it, saying that there is commotion near the front of the entrance that you hear. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm so far out of position. And yeah. mask is not even in the in in the fight, and I don't even know this is going on because I'm so far away. So it's not like right. I can just double back and 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 say, "All right, masks on his own." So, uh, yeah, you guys were <laughs> you four were in it. Yeah. So you ran. I think Porsche ran after you. Then Prue ran after you, and then it was my turn. And combat hadn't ended, even though the scarecrows were dead. I was considering stabbing the other Starecrow in the chest just to, like, finish it off and see if that ended the encounter because, you know, things were still going, but I don't know where they are. But instead, I went with my gut, and I'm really glad I did in the end. Um, but I decided to jump over the pit to the other side because we knew that it looped around back to the front from the previous session beforehand. Yes. But it also separated you from the rest of the group. Yes. I, that's why I'm like, I'm going to do something real dumb. And I separated myself going up against my own tidbit orders of my inspiring leader. And I jumped it and I'm like, Lars, just me from range. And he's like, I'll do my best. Um, the the gap that ate all my movement so I was forced to use my action to get more movement because I wanted to get around the corner and see what was going on well lo and behold I get around the corner and there's a mercenary band of hobgoblins that come bursting through the door and one of them they all had like katanas I think and one of them had what turned out to be like an acid sprayer which was to clean things yeah and yeah so they saw me one of them you know called me a bitch because i'm from valinar and you know i think these guys were from dranger or dunger i can't remember the the country and corvair um and there's there's beef between those two countries for reference and so at this point, Teddy asked me to do a persuasion check because they're like, what are you doing in our house? And I'm just like, this is not your house. This is my friend's house. So what the hell are you doing here? And so he asked me for a or persuasion check with advantage because Lars was helping me out because they were speaking Hobgoblin. And thank the lords, I decided that I chose Hobgoblin as my extra language or else this would have gone completely differently. And I crit my persuasion check, and that ended the combat, because I think we were supposed to fight them instead. But since I crit my persuasion, I basically talked us out of a fight. And that was a, a with your bonuses, that was like a 25, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge number. Yeah, so, I mean, in the end... I'm really glad it went that way because they ended up having the deed or the title to Porsche's shop that was given to them by York. And in the end, they just handed it to us because I crit my persuasion. They're just like, yeah, okay. I guess you're down here clearing out the place. This is, does belong to you. So they handed it over to us. And I think things would have been worse for us with York if we fought and killed some of them and then took the deed for ourselves. Well, I'm sure that would have been the case, but I, yeah, I think things are going to be dicey with us in York anyway. That's true. But I, I think how, since I crit, I kind of threw a wrench into Teddy's plans because he's just like, 
this isn't how the combat was supposed to go. Um, I think what the combat was supposed to go is we kill like the two, two or three jobbers, but the main, um, the leader hobgoblin whose name is Runka, um, her, she was in charge. Um, I think we were supposed to kill off her little entourage. And then at that point she would like submit kind of like what the werejackal did was like, okay, I'm done fighting. And then we could have talked our way into getting the deed. I think that's how it was probably supposed to go. I could be wrong, but in the end it didn't matter because I smooth talked our way out of that fight and got the writ to uh Porsche's shop for us secured. Yeah, that was pretty neat. And during that time, I ended up finding Mask in the guise of a, um, like a, did Tay describe it as like a street urchin or, you know, like a, uh, a, a young girl? It was a halfling girl. Halfling girl. Halfling maid, I think. Halfling something. Yeah. So, and just like completely, completely scared out of her mind. And I was like, hey, um, They've taken care of the enemies. Everything's going to be okay. And then, and mask at that point, I'm figuring out this isn't an effect of the scarecrows and then started putting together changeling. Also a shape changing box for some reason. Um, changelings must not like them or mask in particular for some reason doesn't like them. And I don't know anything about the changeling culture, so maybe they're like mortal enemies or no idea. But right. but it was the it was the little mimic that that freaked Mask out so bad. And then uh, Captain Troth showed up, and Portia presented the deed to the house, and basically had it recognized. So now spare parts is back in. Porsche's hands. Proper hands. Yeah. Um, and so at that, um, and then this kind of came as a surprise to me, but at that point, Teddy said that that was basically the end of the dungeon and that we had all leveled up to level three. And I think that, I think that calls for a hell yeah moment. So, um, little rev theory for you. Hell yeah. So, anyway, that was our... Um, that was essentially the dungeon, and we uh, went back up to we went back up topside after that, and we had I don't know fifteen or twenty minutes left to play, and kind of did a what are we doing for the next couple of weeks thing. So you want to go through some of that? Um, yeah, we can go through that. Um, first off, we hit level three. So I'm very curious to see um, everyone's subclasses that they're going to choose, uh, especially mask, because I play the a rogue in another um, in another in our other D and D campaign. So I'm curious to see what he will choose, especially as a changeling. Um, I think Portia gets to choose her uh, subclass as well for an artificer. I don't know about Prue. I know Lars gets to choose uh, uh, his subclass as well. Um, and I don't think you... What, what did you gain for hitting third level? Oh, I, I gained uh, so much. I, I am so much tougher now than I was at level two. <laughs> it belies description. Uh, so the minute that I got second level spells... So first of all, I went from three first level spells to four first level and two second level with going from second to third level. So I have six spells now instead of three. So doubled my spell, but more than doubled it because two of them are second level slots. But the huge deal is spiritual weapon. 
I can now, uh. I now have my second level spiritual weapon spell, which means that my bonus action kicks in. The only thing I had for bonus action prior to this was healing word, I believe. And now I can cast my uh, spiritual weapon as a bonus action and I move and hit with it as a bonus action, which means after it's in play and it's not even a concentration spell, which means I get to hit with it every round as a bonus action and then either cast a spell or swing a mace or whatever. Oh yeah. My, my, my mace got eaten <laughs> for that was uh last game, right? Um, yeah. When, it just got um, eaten by the mouther, so I gotta go get me a new one. But anyway, that being able all of a sudden to have a a bonus action every round, do, doing potential damage—that's a big deal. And the the other part of it is, I can use my bonus action, cast spiritual weapon, and if I am successful and hit with it. I can then cast a cantrip using my action. I can't do another leveled spell. And uh, if I cast a cantrip with my action, I can toll the dead. And if they've already taken damage, it's a D12 instead of a D8. If I can actually <laughs> land it. <laughs> Maybe now you'll so, be able to start kicking in some um, pull the deads and actually pulling the dead. Yeah. So, and then the... Um, yeah, my my next big boost in power comes at fifth level when I get third level spells. Uh, Spirit Guardians is one of the has to be one of the best spells in the game. Um, so um, it is a concentration spell, but man, it needs to be because it, I, I think it can last uh, ten rounds with concentration and. Around me, I think it's a 15-foot radius around me, becomes difficult terrain for any enemies that are in there. And that um, anyone that I choose uh, or anyone that I don't designate that's inside of that uh, 15-foot radius around me will take um, its a huge amount of damage. It's like 2d8 or 3d8. And... Um, if if they enter the area or if they start their turn inside that area, they take that damage. Now, if I just walk into them, they don't take it because they didn't voluntarily come in. But if I walk into them and then stop, when their turn happens and they start their turn inside of it, 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 it hits them. So I'll be hitting them with that. with a, And once it's in play, it's just concentration. So... I can I can have that going. I can hit with spiritual weapon and a spell every round. So fifth level is going to be a huge level, but second level is a huge, huge power upswing for me. Yeah. And uh, for me, at third level, I finally get to take my oath as a paladin. Oh, that's right. And yeah, so this is... It's not a... It's big, but it's not that big because I in the hindsight all I gain is a spell slot and two spells um that I know permanently or forever. They're or they're always prepared rather. So what two are those? It's command and compelled duel. Mm. Uh I know those um those are always ready because of my oath. Um and I get an extra spell slot as I said. So now I gone from two to three. Yay. Hey that's a fifty <laughs> so percent increase man. Yeah, uh, I can be a little bit more frugal with my divine smites, but um, I took the oath of the crown as my oath, and that and gives you what? Um, um, it's been a while since I looked it up, so hold on. Um, it was a very hard decision, and. Eventually it was, I had to talk it out with Teddy and go over it because I didn't know if what kind of oath I wanted. I thought I wanted a certain oath, but then it turns out it didn't work with the theming. So then I'm like, well, do I just go a glory paladin or I don't really want a vengeance paladin. That's not who Tabane is. So I was bouncing around all the other oaths and I'm just like, I don't really know what it is. 
But then Teddy's like, well, what about Oath of the Crown? He's like, you are essentially born and raised in Valinor, and the oath to that crown would be Valinor. So I am a, a culture, I am a product of their culture there. And that really fits in with what I was doing. Um, the the tenets for Oath of the Crown is law, loyalty, courage, and responsibility. So I gotta follow those, fit. or else I lose my kick-ass superpowers. And um, that's really about it. Uh, fifth level, I get some more um, some more spells. Ninth level is what I'm looking forward to because I get a cool looking aura, and I get spirit guardians at ninth level. Oh yeah. So ninth level will be a good one for me. So at ninth um, level, you pick up third level spells, or that just is an innate ability. Um, I don't know when I pick up third level spells. So spirit guardians is just an ability you gain. It's not like you can you can cast their level no. spells and so at ninth level I gain two third level spells. So I would assume um spirit guardians. Is spirit guardians a second or third level spell? Third. Oh. Yeah, so I would assume I would just have to expunge a third level spell slot for spirit guardians. Well, it's usually worth it, although concentration makes it tough if, if you're going to be a melee. Yeah. Because you can have your concentration disrupted. Yep. So the next, probably the next big power spike for me would be fifth level, because then now I get access to second level spells and I get an extra attack. Well, next level is going to be big for everybody. Because at fourth level, we gain our ability score improvement, right? Yes. Yes. Or a feat. Or a feat. So that'll be a big, that'll be a big level for everybody. And, oh man, when we were doing our rolls. <laughs> so. Oh, the mask, for HP. Yes. Mask rolled a one on their last, on their second level hit point roll and rolled a one again. <laughs> On the third level, I just cringed. Oh, my God, no. Uh, Teddy was good about it, though, and said, okay, good practice roll, so let's see the real one now. And they went to the other side of the scale, uh, went from min to max, which really just makes it kind of average for <laughs> the last two levels. So yeah, Teddy, Teddy was in the middle of doing some like dialogue or describing something, and Mask made his one roll, and I just audibly just went oh no and i think i just kind of caught him off guard and it's just like oh that's just two ones in a row is harsh i uh i've this is actually a mechanic that i once again i i continually find things about fifth edition that i approve of and hit point rolls are one of them because one of the one of the options is you can take just take the average of your of whatever your hit dice is. So if you have a, if you roll an eight sided dice for hit points, you can just take a five or you can chance a roll. And, uh, I am, I am very risk adverse. So I usually take the five. Yep. I like taking average as well. I mean, it's, I've had my fun of rolling HP and that two week campaign that we did, yeah. but, <laughs> I I don't like leaving things up to chance like that. I'm like I'd rather be consistent than inconsistent. But you know, Porsche or not Porsche? Gosh, now I'm getting them mixed up. Prue has has been rolling for HP, and she's been getting some really good rolls. I think she's been getting a lot of mileage from her rolls. Um. But yeah. So anyway, um, second or third level was a big deal for all of us. And then we went through and did some of the role play shopping that Teddy didn't just want a shotgun. So uh, the main one was that I went to that ranch outside of the city and uh, got my mage bread mastiff and Riley and then and, and Lars and Tabade went with me. And Lars sold another one of his calendars 
And we, you and I ended up headed, heading back by ourselves because Lars hooked up with like the stable master. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, that was a lot of fun. And yeah. then when we, uh, when we got back, Mask said they weren't going to be able to stay at, um, at Porsche's place because I, I'm assuming once again, it was because of the mimic. And so went left to go back to the Phoenix and then Tabane ended up getting a package in the mail, um, like, uh, and it was a sash of some kind. Yeah. Um, at this point, you know, we're running on game time, uh, wrapping things up. Apparently we get, uh, in between sessions, two weeks is going to pass. So Teddy was just like, Hey, what are you going to do in these two weeks? Um, I said, that I'm going to be working out with Lars and training a little bit, you know, just to be active. Um, I also said that I'm going to hit up the bar occasionally, but most importantly, what I wanted to do was write letters back to my father. And Teddy at that point was just like, well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I had a letter from my father that came to me and inside of it was a sash um, for my promotion because in my backstory, I got promoted to uh corporal but apparently there wasn't really a an official ceremony or anything because i got promoted and then immediately left for uh sharn and to start the adventure so and and so i got my sash and a little bit of flavor text from my father yeah so that was pretty cool too yeah it's Um, nice that he's including our backgrounds like i know in the beginning and from the reviews I've read on, on his DMing is that he likes to incorporate your backstory into the story some way or another. So it's nice to see that my backstory isn't just flavor text. It actually has meaning to it. And it, you know, like something like um, in my backstory, I had, two stepbrothers, I guess you could call them, because I was taken in by my father. He's not my true father. Um, So I had some stepbrothers that died in the morning. So maybe, you know, something uh, like I'll get their armor in the mail or something, or I don't know. It's just neat to have your backstory be more than just flavor text and actually be incorporated into the story somehow. You do know why Keelan's such a firebug, right? No, I thought you were just keeping that on as a running joke. Well, so in in her backstory, her parents' pawn shop was burned to the ground, killed her parents, and that's how she ended up at the at the temple. Hmm. So her her parents were burned alive and she saw it happen. So yeah, that's that's why the fire thing. Yeah, so. I thought it was just a running joke from early on in our campaign. No, I mean, <laughs> and then you just kept it going with the like, ooh, fire. <laughs> so, uh, well, but the the stuff that ha- it I, you could see it that way. But the I mean, the reason that she was wanting to do the fire anyway. First of all, it was practical. But second of all, she thinks fire is the most destructive force because it killed her parents. So yeah. that's, that's, that's her go-to is to just to burn it all down. <laughs> so anyway, um, anything else to go to add? Yeah. I'm just going to run down what everyone else's, their bullet points were for the two weeks. Um, in our RP chat in the discord, I'm sure more will be fleshed out and stuff will happen. But um, Lars is going to do, um, according to Misha's notes, which I'm reading off of, thank you for taking such wonderful notes, Mish. Um, I mean, Portia, sorry. Uh, Lars is doing some personal developments, like working out and ro- working on his writing. He also tries to get to know Captain Trolleth more. Uh, we already went over you. Prue is spending time writing reports back to Sharn and updating her journal. She's also requesting the paperwork for getting a replacement arm. Portia is taking some time to make an arm for herself and Prue, and also lodges a number of complaints against Lord Amanitou with Kyrus and Valyrian. 
That's good. Uh, and then it just says mask is largely absent from spare parts. So I'm curious to see how um, mask and his RP is going to turn out because right now he's MIA and we don't know where he is. Yeah, actually I've done a little bit. Uh, Keelan's trying to find him. Yep. But yeah. So anyway, this will, this will give us a, a good chance to do some uh, in character RP and then, uh, get back to it next week as third level. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. I was trying to think if there was a, Oh, um, there is one burning question that I have. How are we is deciding who gets which room? Oh, <laughs> I, um, I was thinking of taking a room next to Portia. So, at least either you or me take a room next close to Portia because, you know, it's her house and we want to protect her and her house. But I also thought Prue would take the one directly across the hall because they've been really close to each other. So in my mind, Prue already took that bedroom just because they have a, a good bond going together. And then I took, I took one down the hall. Um, Mask took one in the servants' quarters. Um, and then the one that I had my eye on from the very beginning, she said was Gilda's room. So that one kind of, uh, that kind of took the wind out of my sails right there. So I was like, dang it, I kind of wanted that one for myself. Was that the one that you slept in during while we were taking the watches? No, I slept on the second floor. Yeah. It I was, uh, the one that was Gilda's room was on the main floor. It was the oh, room to the right of the dining room. Yeah, that's right. I actually, um, I actually liked the room that you took during that watch, and also the one um, to the east of it. They were both big rooms that had separate sleeping chambers. Yeah, yeah. But I honestly, um, it doesn't matter to me who gets what room. Oh, it doesn't uh, matter either. If, I just, <laughs> I just wondered where how everybody was going to fall out. Yeah the the room I had eyes on Gilda, she said Gilda's was in, and I'm like, yeah, okay, you know what, that's fair. Um, so I just took what I thought was the next best thing. Yeah. So, anyway, um, that's all I've got. Unless you got something else. No. All right. I'm good. Well, as always, appreciate you carving time out of your day to come on and do the recap with me. And uh, we'll have to see if uh, we can uh, get any of the adventuring group to come back on and reprise their roles after the next adventure, yeah? Yeah. All right, Kat. Well, uh, enjoy the rest of your week, man, and uh, we will talk to you later, okay? All right. Thank you.